Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula. We're going to cover the big stories of the week as they've appeared, been filtered through Paul Jacob's own lens at thisiscommonsense.org. That's Common Sense with Paul Jacob. On Monday, October 16th, he wrote Amber Ebony Insanity. On Tuesday, October 17th, it was the $145,000 virtual fine. On October 18th, it was Bill Gates wants to bury trees. 19th, yesterday, unsportsmanlike conduct. That's about sports. And on October 20th, today, Friday, no protection, no duh. This is politics. This is news. This is Paul Jacob. Well, let me tell you the thing that I, if I can remember it now, that I was going crazy about. Um, Tim Cook has uh, said that China and Apple have a symbiotic relationship and interdependent uh, relationship. And so I kind of need a new phone. <laughs> it's like, did you want to send me a telegram that says don't buy Apple? I mean, really? Are, is Apple helping the CCP in some absolutely essential way will stop and uh it's it's interesting because i stumbled upon that because i saw something about john stewart who i think was uh the rush limbaugh of the, the late rush limbaugh of the democrats in 2006 when they came back and took the house uh just like in 1994 Republicans weren't popular. In 2006, Democrats weren't really popular either. But Republicans were so unpopular that if there was somebody credible to kind of rally the forces uh, on the left, and I'm talking about, you know, decent people forces as well as crazy forces, um, then they could do something. And, and I think Rush Limbaugh was kind of that outside force in 1994 and I think John Stewart was that outside force uh, that was essential uh, in 2006. Anyway, today, uh, John Stewart's show on Apple is no more, it sounds like, because he wanted to talk about China and he wanted to talk about AI. And so, you know, here's our uh, brave new censorship. Uh, you know, the government doesn't censor, but the government is intertwined in all kinds of business, especially the businesses that are at the point of censorship where they flip the switch and that message is gone. The, uh, the Apple has some role in that, but the Facebooks, the Googles, the, but it's also, um, so much of society. If, if we're all bought into, hey, you know, let's do a lot of business in China and China's growth as a genocidal totalitarian country is just hunky-dory, great for us, <laughs> then then this is where we'll be headed to where maybe it's better if we just didn't talk about it. And certainly maybe it's better if we don't laugh at Xi Jinping. And of course, not that this was any part of it, 
maybe if it's it's better if we don't laugh at Apple. And I would suspect at some point it might be just a rule that we don't laugh at Google. And maybe that we don't laugh unless we're really certain that our laughter is A-OK with the regime. Not, not, not so much the one in Washington, the one in Beijing, but the one in Washington, too, by golly. <laughs> They're going to be the junior partner in this future totalitarian dystopia. And I think that they, you know, Washington gets its due. Though that is chilling and it's unfortunate. Uh, you mentioned John Stewart, and it's hard for me to work up any sympathy for the guy. <laughs> I really do believe that he's instrumental uh, was one of the main forces that brought Wokeanity and the current cultural ideological divide in a strong way in America. He was integral for that process. And uh, he's the probably the main public non-political figure who did it, who did so. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's interesting because he strikes me as always kind of stopping short of going way out on that left wing. Um, he never, he, he certainly has facilitated it in the, in the way I'm talking 2006, facilitating the Democrats being the person who you can see, Hey, the Democrats aren't crazy. There's John Stewart. He makes a lot of sense, but I think he, he made that sense in part because he didn't go to the far, to the far outer reaches of the wings and uh and but he never cut against it the way for instance that bill maher is cutting against it in clear this is not liberal this is some kind of crazy totalitarian thing well john stewart has embraced the crazy totalitarian thing in his pro in his uh the problem with john stewart which is a title that beckons to be used as a book about john stewart uh but uh <laughs> well that's the show that that apple is uh right right and i'm glad to see it go in a sense because it was it was right. dreadful it, it was impossible for me to watch and <laughs> and it was, it was just it was bad in ways that's hard to even imagine a smart person comprehending it just it's just a, a smart person did that it's very odd and he went woke and that's the, what that was the, what was the, that was the main cringe factor what he oh. did what oh and I mean real woke, uh, he's all trans all I mean it's, it's just all nonsense. But the interesting thing is that before you know leading up to the anointing of Barack Obama, his you know his stance in politics was Republicans are crazy and evil, Democrats are feckless and goofy. That's that. That was his message. Yes, yes, over and over again. And yeah, and so he made fun of the Democrats, but he made fun of the Democrats for being right, but can't do anything right. Uh, which yeah. is which, and that set up uh, the current cultural divide: is the Republicans, anyone who disagrees with us, is evil and stupid. And it really, really solidified that in the culture, and uh, and it also liberated people from actually having to read a newspaper or a magazine article or or doing anything really other than just going to a comedian to hear the, uh, the 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 latest line. And that was a huge change in American politics, political culture. I mean, uh, but so well, he's gone. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure so much if that was a change in that. I think before there may have been a bunch of people going, well, I'm not going to read the newspaper, but is there a comedian somewhere who would tell me what 
what's going on in this world. And maybe they just couldn't find it until Jon Stewart was there. But, you know, I do think that he he's very good. He's a very good communicator. And he he creates an aura of this is right, this is wrong in 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 a way that doesn't seem there's no fire breathing. Um, and and so I think he has been essential to the Democrats. But it's interesting if he's kind of peddling the woke stuff himself as opposed to creating the preconditions. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's he's it's he's not a good guy because politically he's just wrong about things. And he is he, he will demonize anybody who's on the other side. And and I think it's something that, you know, we all can can say things that maybe are too harsh for some small percentage or, or large percentage of of the opposition. But I think it is important to recognize there are good people on both sides. Um, there are a lot of liberal Democrats still. The problem is we're losing some and they are becoming what you and I might call totalitarian Democrats. And it's, you know, it becomes the same way. You know, Trump was called a fascist a zillion times, you know, from day one. And so it loses some of its, you know, some of its uh, moxie there. But of course, we have, you know, our, our government has swerved outside the lines uh, uh, as an equal opportunity, uh, unaccountable entity. And that's really the essential problem. And it's what a John Stewart misses. And frankly, as much as I uh, I liked, I listened to Rush Limbaugh more. It's what he missed, in the sense that this is not a it's 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 not a fight simply between the right and the left. And if uh, somehow if the Republicans just consolidated all the seats and all the legislatures, then this country would just soar, or vice versa. I mean, you could kind of think that might be good economically in some way, better than the Democrats taking over everything, because then this country would soar. I mean, we'd be bankrupt, but we would soar. <laughs> we would certainly be forced to tell everybody they're soaring. That's for sure. And there's something there. But but I digress. Well, that, the, whole, the whole John Stewart thing is interesting because, you know, I loved him in the Bush years because I was against the Bush regime. Uh, I didn't approve of the wars at all. I was against the wars, right. and 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 I and I should mention. I mean, I blogged about it quite a bit with leftists, but as soon as the left got in power with Barack Obama, that was all shut down. The left start, stopped talking about wars, and Barack Obama started doing the things the deep state wanted, or would, or you know, the permanent political culture yes. in the Pentagon and so forth, and. And I think we can kind of have an idea why he did that. I have, I mean, my, I have my theory, and I think it's a good theory. And and the fact that John Stewart could never mention it and had to still, still carry on until he quit, a sort of pro Obama stance, you know, try to be as pro Obama as he could, even if Obama did all the things that uh, Bush was doing, you know, bombing people, killing right. people, uh, and uh, and doing incredibly well. Dumb he things. did. He- you know, Obama crossed some lines in terms of American citizens being wiped out by drone strike in other parts of the world. And, you know, you don't lose your your rights as an American citizen because you travel abroad, uh, certainly not from the, the U.S. government, but you did. And and there's there is, I think, um, when you start at the Obama administration, 
you have to kind of realize, and I've had people in the media who have sort of admitted this, Obama had to succeed. Whatever Obama did, the media was going to make it look good. And as much as people complain about, well, the media always harps on everything, their job is sort of to harp on everything. Um, reasonable stuff, you'd want them to, you know, have their head on straight and so on. But but look, if there's more, if we have a vibrant media out there, left, right, in between, who's who everything a politician does is being, you know, uh, held up and oh, it was should he have done that? Oh, he shouldn't have. He did this. So let's study it more. That's good. If you have a media that starts from start one, hey, the regime is right. The president is right. Whatever he's doing, even if it's disastrous has to be shown in the most possible positive possible light and has to be a success in the end even if it's just a moral victory and frankly as we go down that road if we have to hide pictures and not report stories and maybe just slightly misreport stories then that's what we're going to do because the greater good is served by the regime this president looking good and I mean, once you start down that road, it's just and we're we're on that road. We're a couple, you know, <laughs> maybe a couple hundred miles down that road. Um, we now think that it's OK for uh, the regime to collude with uh, social media companies to censor posts of people who are speaking a certain political way. And I say we now, you know, support that. That is the majority opinion in the United States, at least in the sense that um of those who have any controls over the the you know the the levers, um, that's how the levers are being pulled. And when you think, well, I wonder what kind of media backlash. Well, the media is uh, cheerleading it. Um, so, and and look, I'm not saying there you know there are open graves on the edge of town and so on, but you know that. <laughs> Those come at the end of a of a very long, ugly process. And my view has always been, don't start on those long, ugly processes. That road toward long, ugly process ending in death and destruction just seems like the wrong road to take. And it starts with deciding that the checks and balances of a free society can be manipulated to stop any anybody saying anything that we don't like. And what we talk all the time, in fact, we may we will talk this coming week and we may talk a little bit here today about stopthechinazis.org, which is a new website that that uh, I have you know put forward and uh, to just track what, the Chinazis, the Chinese regime, not the Chinese people, not the country of China, the mountains and the rivers, well, the rivers are problematic, but, it, but it's a beautiful place. And they're not guilty of anything. And the Chinese people are not our enemy. And that's why I like the term Chinazi, because that is the regime. And we don't fall into the Chinese or China, uh, which is kind of a dodge. But the thing that's so scary about them is their desire to squelch any speech, any communication, any association, 
It's like they've looked at the First Amendment and said, how could we murder and torture and destroy every impulse behind the right to speak, the right to associate with your neighbors, the right to worship, the right to petition your government? They hate that stuff. And the scariest thing in recent times to me is not not the Chinazis, because we've we've been here before, unfortunately. Maybe not quite quite as technologically advanced or as many people as a higher percentage of the world, but we've been here before. The scariest part is that you can see our own government wanting to travel the same road and do many of the same things when it comes to speech speech about medicine, speech about politics, speech about the latest conspiracy theory, which is always out there because nobody in their right mind thinks we've been told the truth about things. And I do want to not correct you. Uh, I want to suggest that the bodies are already at the village. And and the bodies <laughs> are there in the excess death stats, which no one will talk about. And that's that's the thing people won't talk about is what did John Stewart and his uh, promotion of the regime and of the regime mentality, the mentality not of a free people but of a servile people beholden to an enamored leader who's woke, who's who's all the right, right cool, and cool. And their science-based right. society right. and experts right. in bureaucracy, which, which, which have always Obama, been so kind. Yeah, Barack <laughs> Obama was was a very strong proponent of that. He talked about the science and he promoted it. And what they ended up, of course, was was now we have excess deaths, but the excess deaths aren't in the old group, old age people, and the people with comorbidities. Since the coming of the jab, in most countries of the West, including the United States, but it's hard to see. It's very. It's easier to see in the stats in Britain, but even those are hidden. But it's coming out, and it's very hard to get it out because people do not want to hear it and will not talk about it. But the excess deaths are up, and they're in all age categories but the old, and that means they've shifted death. They shifted the bodies from the, the most likely uh, to succumb to a new disease to everybody. And they did it through the lockdowns, the mass mandates, and the jabs. To which, you know, to which why, why young people who are not susceptible to, or well, I shouldn't say not susceptible, just don't have the same numbers in terms of deaths, not anywhere close. Right, right. We knew from the beginning that the COVID yes. was hitting only really the old people. So why would they get the jab? And of course, the quick answer. Before anybody knew anything, we always you always be careful when everyone has the answer before anyone knows anything, because often those are not the right answers. But I remember early on, well, they have to take it because that stops the spread. But of course, now we know that the jab doesn't stop the spread. So I can understand why someone my age says I should get the jab. I'm kind of sorry I got it, but I wanted to go to England um, anyway. I don't understand why a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 24-year-old who's healthy is getting the jab. And it just has never made sense to me. And of course, they've, you know, they've almost dropped the facade of trying to make sense. Just say things piously 
and and if anyone doesn't immediately put on a mask and bow, you know they're a they're a ruffian barbarian who's who needs to be arrested and and uh, you know sent to the gulag. Well, I I would just blame him, John Stewart. It's on a theme. There's a lot of blame to go around, but let's go back to John Stewart. What did he do? John Stewart's he, mom, mom is listening to this right now, and she just doesn't. She just thinks you're taking it too far, Tim. <laughs> well, he basically encouraged his audience to feel superior to everybody else because they were in the know and they had the right ideas, and that they were culturally superior, and that therefore what their tribe said must be true, and. He that's all and that, true, and that's that is true. what led to the mob mentality of taking an experimental medi medication and pushing it and making some people very rich off of it. Uh, and giving giving Pfizer, these are the people. How stupid are the John Stewart people? There is not a stupider people, a group of people on the planet. Foolish, <laughs> and, and here we are. And what, why is that? Because they're the people who, before Barack Obama, would have been on the side of being skeptical about big pharma they would have been against pfizer john stewart i'm sure had many many skits and uh, raps about how big pfizer, pharma what terrible yeah, yeah well, well, but this is what we see again and again they they talk about um they talk about income inequality all the time and then have policies that just are obviously going to exacerbate that and they don't seem to ever put that together they created it and then and then blame somebody else for it as they're creating more of it. And so it is. Uh, so, no, I, I think there's a real problem there. And of course, the other story that I think we may cover uh, next week is this uh, thing about uh, a whistleblower saying that uh, of the people who were put together by the U.S. government to look at you know, the origin of COVID, that one of them, you know, all of them, except for one, uh, was convinced it was a lab leak. That one said it wasn't. And basically, the report is, the allegation is, that the others were paid to say it was not a lab leak. Um, now, it, what's funny to me about this a little bit is... It's a non-story to me. Well, they were paid. They weren't paid. They all lied about the lab leak. It's also obvious. It was obvious from the emails from Fauci. Some of the first emails that were released, the first thing that became clear is Fauci does not want this to be a lab leak from Wuhan. And then the news that made that so obvious as to why that you never needed another question is because he funded the lab. In in other words, this isn't this isn't Fauci saying, let's not blame the poor Chinese who work so hard and are such nice folks. It is Fauci covering his own butt. And that's what we've pointed out again and again. And it's what the media in the United States, even as they cover it, never seem to. This should have been smoking guns shows Fauci wanted to block lab leak theory. I mean, that's how I would headline the story about these emails being released. And instead, instead it was kind of what emails? What are you talking about? 
at least at the Washington Post and the New York Times, and those drive all U.S. media. So that meant in in the you know the paper in Moline and and uh, Boise, it, it there wasn't anything about it either. Hmm. Well, you wrote five pieces last week. Yes, not, you're not, we've been talking about what you're going to write next week. <laughs> I yeah. like that. That's a great, that's a great idea. For I'm trying podcast. to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get off next, next Friday. That's okay. the, uh... <laughs> we're good. Well, you, you occasionally do get off next Friday. Uh, okay. So here we are. I'm we flying people. somewhere next Friday. I think I oh am my. flying some oh Friday. So we'll have, to, we'll have to, we'll have to negotiate that. But, yeah. but anyway, the first one, um, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time because I think regular readers and listeners, will uh, will have already read it of course but uh but if ha- if not go read it cuz it's fun ebony or uh, i'm sorry amber ebony insanity this is california and they have decided that the amber alert system doesn't work it's the wrong color for some people and so they have started an ebony alert system now, one of the problems with kind of figuring out which color to go with would be if you decided to go with numerous colors, because it would almost be a subtle way. I mean, I don't think it would actually have this impact because I think people are both smarter and more decent than our government, but it would almost have the impact of saying, oh, somebody's missing, but it's not one of my race. So, uh, you know, I'm only supposed to pay attention when it's my race. And, of course, there's no allegation here that somehow, you know, uh, black children who were went missing were not being, you know, recognized in the black community. Hey, we need to look for these people. This is it's completely a whole thing going on has nothing to do with finding these kids who are missing. Absolutely nothing has everything to do with the woke politics that's going on now. And that's, I think, the, I mean, you you could imagine we'd all go, oh, yes, we have to now have all these different, you know, Amber Alert and, and uh, you know, the Purple People Eater Alert and the, all the different alerts. Look, if we got to do it, we got to do it. Not one iota of even discussion. That's not even, no one even thought that for a second. They simply wanted to do some woke politics because I guess finding kids who are missing is a difficult job. I get that. But taking the break in woke land doesn't seem to do anything for it. And and give it a read. Amber Ebony Insanity. Uh, Nice take on the on the uh, Stevie Wonder Paul McCartney song "Ebony and Ivory." And uh... I just assume that amber was chosen because it's kind of yellow, and you have red, yellow, and green on the stop. So amber is just sort of a an alarm color. You're not supposed to stop. You're not supposed to go. You're supposed to be cautious. So that made perfect sense. I just don't really get. Um, changing the color but you know this is the age of the rainbow so people have to they, they're they obsessed with colors but not yes. in a, not in a good way no not in a good way so your second now, one uh, was has a title that i find you know just kind of interesting the hundred and forty five thousand dollar virtual fine what's virtual about a fine of 145 thousand well this is a uh a chinese uh netizen uh which somehow Netizen 
doesn't even really belong uh, with people who are trying to use the internet in China and trying to get around, around the Great Firewall. Uh, this was a man who used a VPN. And, uh, and this is a hefty fine. This is $145,000 U.S. dollars. Um, and basically, it's his, his entire earnings from his company. And he basically said he, he had to use the, the VPN to get some of the information he had to get. Um, so that it was his argument, in, in essence, is I'm not trying to subvert the state. Uh, but, but anyway... Uh, that's a hefty fine. And when people talk about, I've, I've had people tell me, well, you know, in China, everybody just uses a VPN and kind of like it's, uh, oh, it was something on the ground. We just stepped over it and we went on. And, and of course, this guy might say, well, (laughs) it's not quite that easy. And, uh, and so there is, you know, there, there is some enforcement behind the censorship regime. But it looks like if we were saying that makes sense, uh, because I have friends in China and they use VPNs. And so if everybody's doing something, but it's against the law and people still do it, that means the government can grab you at any time. So this is what Jeremy Bentham considered the worst kind of laws where there's discretion on the part of government to prosecute rather than it being very clear what's prosecutable and what's not. So this is the highlight of an anti-Republican kind of attitude and procedures this is a setup for it's totalitarian basically yes because it is so arbitrary and if you know the moment that uh you are imprisoned or the moment that seven thugs with billy clubs start hitting you in the head and grabbing you and holding you or then put handcuffs on you or then like take you to a prison uh, or, you know, strap you to a tiger chair for the torture to begin. You realize at that point that, geez, I'm not as free as I'd like to be. And when people talk about totalitarianism, it's kind of a sense that on all levels, there's super control, but, um, but there is force out there. And when, when you have governments who can do what they can do in China, uh, it's, it is, you know, it, it, it sends a message through the, the public such that, sure, there are going to be some people who go around the edges, as there are, always are, but it's a different type of society. And, um, and it's, you know, in this country, if you've been censored, you know, if you're one of these doctors who, you know, was talking about stuff and all of a sudden, you know, there's this whole regime of censorship coming down on you and you're being threatened now with the legislature in California and the board, then your whole career could go. Well, this is the kind of things that, you know, that that lead to a society in which not only can they tell you what to say and think, but they can enforce it. And and that's the in some ways, we are a more totalitarian society in that the woke and the anti-woke and the, you know, now you've got a much more of a cancel culture where what's happening in the public sphere really translates into you know it's like a cultural revolution thing it's it's not just that 
at work you're being uh, beaten up on and so on. They're, you know, your neighbors come to your house to harass you. Um, that's a different type of society. And, and, uh, and the, the, you know, kind of the, the, you think back to the cultural revolution in China uh, when you see a lot of what's happening in America today and in recent years and yeah. with this clash and with us as there, there's a good, healthy bark. And, and, and with this clash of ideologies and, and I, I, sometimes worry that that the US and the West and and other free societies maybe don't aren't as committed to it as I'd like uh, but between authoritarianism and so on uh, you know th this matters and and when you see the non-authoritarian side using some of the same censorship techniques it's it's a it's a frightening look at the future and I'd, I'd like to Whenever I leave this realm, I'd sure like to have a better feeling about the future of my kids and grandkids and future great grandkids and future generations when it comes to freedom of speech and having the rights that we've pretty much taken for granted. And I recognize we've taken them for granted a lot of times because they just didn't get to us or because, you know, we we weren't saying anything too threatening. I mean, we've, we've, I've, I've been in jail, so, you know, they didn't take all of it for granted. Uh, I, you know, I, this, this country, bad things can happen too. Our government can behave terribly, but it's, it's, uh, you know, the philosophy behind it is a much better philosophy than is at work in a lot of countries in this world. And it seems to be on the March and I don't use March accidentally. Well, if you're trying to prepare for the future, I don't think you should bury trees in the desert. Uh, this is my segue <laughs> to your next piece for October 18th. Bill Gates wants to bury trees, which is, I mean, it was a kind of funny piece, but mainly the idea is so stupid that it's it just, it just carries itself. The story carries itself. Yes, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, I mean, just a headline. It's, uh, and and but there's an interesting element here, and I encourage people to go read it. Uh, we don't have to belabor it all, but he's he's trying to stop that carbon from getting into the atmosphere. But if you think about it, you could you could do it in other ways. You could build houses. You could and and to be looking at what we do for you know taking care of the planet and not thinking about people so much, but thinking about the planet itself. Not a bad, not a bad thing to look at the planet itself. Sometimes make sure it's doing okay. But this, this is, it's part of kind of a woke, you know, people talk about the great reset that's coming that people like Bill Gates and other folks have talked about. Um, it's, it's scary. And it's scary because just like our own government, they they don't seem to want to be held accountable. They don't seem to recognize that people are really important, each and every individual one of us. And you get the sense that if maybe we lost a few people because we had to do this or that, oh, it's terrible. Let's go to lunch. Where do you want to go? Uh 
that's how I think a lot of people view the elite and not without good cause. And that's that's the problem. And it's why you you have to have individual freedom and individual rights and you have to have government held accountable because even good people and and I'm not suggesting that these are good people, but even good people and they may be once upon a time, even good people become bad people if they are given power without any accountability. And we just can't, we can't, we're too advanced not to recognize that. And that's not where little bitty problems happen. That's where gigantic, horrible problems happen. Um, so, I'm, I mean, look at, I, I think of China's uh, population uh, problems with the, when they instituted the one child policy. And you think about throughout all of time, how often has any ruler, ever thought that they could tell people how many kids they could have or whether they could have any um and 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 so on i mean it's just an incredible power and to realize that it was used and of course it's devastating and and you know when when individual people are not regulated properly um you could imagine some harm here or there not that sort of harm. Not the sort of harm you get from World War II. Not, you know, and and so so often we're so ready to police the little guy that he doesn't doesn't color outside the lines here without realizing that it's it's the big guys who are who are doing things that are just incredibly harmful and deadly and and evil sometimes. And that's that policy is part of it. Well, your Thursday piece isn't exactly about that, but it is about it is about abusing the powerless in a sense. I mean, that's kind of one of your points. Is 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 uh, it's about sports? So I'm gonna let you yes. give it away. I know nothing about sports. I know nothing about <laughs> I, I, everything about it. Is I put it away out of my mind. So you have to explain everything about unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> and sending it to you was kind of like. Uh... Really? You want me to edit this like I know anything about this? Uh, this is uh, James Madison University. It was interesting because I watched the game last night. It ran Thursday, and it was about the Thursday night game they were playing, or just mentioned that. They won. They played great. Uh, a very, very good team. But, of course, the, the, the issue is it's not that, boy, they're a really good team, so they ought to be able to go to a bowl game. But here's the, here's the story, and then – we can talk about why I think it's important enough for somebody to care about who doesn't care about football, doesn't care about James Madison university because it, it's a, it's emblematic in some ways of our, of our time, but James Madison university was division two. I don't remember what the, the call letters are or whatever it's SBS, SCS, whatever, but they were the second division, smaller schools, don't you know they don't play Alabama and USC and Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and blah blah blah. So, but uh, although my uh, son-in-law, uh, who's a big Virginia Tech booster, that's where he went. <clears throat> uh, they've been great, and of course JMU played them. The JMU was in Division Two, Virginia Tech was in Division One, and JMU beat uh, 
uh, Virginia Tech. This was years ago, six, eight years ago. And so, I mean, they've always been a very good Division II team, and they decided to make the leap to Division One. They entered the Sun Bowl Conference or something, the – Oh, it's in the piece. I can't remember what what Sun Belt, not bowl. They can't go to a bowl, <laughs> but but so as part of this, they have these rules, which strike me as just kind of a way to like make people suffer or something, because they it doesn't the rationale of it, uh, it never quite makes any sense. But the rule is that when you move up to Division One in this conference, that for two years you can't win the championship. And you cannot go to a bowl game. Why, you know, why that makes any sense, I don't know. But when you think about it, for the coach, well, that kind of sucks. I got two years where I can't go to a bowl game. Uh, and I can't win the championship. Although last year, Virginia uh, uh, James Madison won the championship. They won the most, you know, they had the best record. The team that won the championship, they beat by like 20 points. So. So it's like, uh, hey, you can say we weren't the champions, but only because we can't be the champions, even though we won it on the field. And and uh, but but you can kind of see where the coach it, it's a little bit of a hassle. But then of course now I'm in in this league and I can do a lot of stuff. I could coach for another ten years, twenty years. The university, of course, is going to play in perpetuity. So you got a little two year thing in a hundred years. They're not going to be worried too much about those two years. But the players, if this is your junior and senior year in college and all the practices you went to and all the work you've put in, and maybe you're hoping that your career, you can make it to the NFL. And they have players on their team that go to the NFL. And, and maybe you need that exposure. But you don't get it. And so it, it dawns on me that who's suffering from this rule? And, and last night on the, on the program, the announcer just went after this rule over and over and over again. Like, apparently they read, they read common sense, thank goodness. But, uh, but it's, it's all the harm is put on the backs of the kids who are doing the same work and and you know they're suffering so the university can do better and it's like and and of course it's easy enough to just end that rule nobody has nobody's come up with even a decent argument some people said that it's it's there to make sure the teams are really you know quality and can you know before they can be even expected to well if they if they win the league the first year and I don't think it really makes sense year two to go, Lord, we're not sure you're quite up to it. I mean, none of it makes sense. But it's here's where it's emblematic. The fact that here's this, this policy, this rule that leagues and universities have agreed to and turns out it harms students. If that were some rare occurrence, and then when it was found out that, oh, well, this is obviously not fair to the kids who were playing so hard, you would change it. And it's, that's not the case. There's there, you know, they, they try to get a change. They're not going to change it. This is about bucks and it's not about the kids. And look, you know, there's all kinds of business. The, the NFL is about bucks and not about the kids. 
who who aren't kids anymore. Um, and it's, it's one reason I like college better because I can envision college players like playing a game and then afterwards, you know, taking a hot shower and going out and doing something. When I see these older men playing football, I'm thinking, you know, there's someone they're going to have a couple nurses, you know, trying to lead them into a whirlpool. And then, you know, it's it's uh, anyway, this is a sport for, I think, young people who haven't, you know, haven't had their bell rung too many times. But but this this is another case of we talk about the kids and then we don't help the kids we help ourselves and i'm talking about adults that's the problem with the schools it's the problem with football it's the problem with almost every part of youth activity is that it's not about them it's about adults and the adults have screwed up i remember writing a common sense years ago because it just made me so upset and i still think about it today there was a league in Washington, D.C., and this team was good, and they just won and won and won, and they got invited to go to some tournament to play, and turns out they didn't have the money because the adults ran off with the money. So these kids didn't get to go to the to the tournament. And, and when you think about the suffering different people have and so on and didn't get to go to the tournament. But, um, you know, the fact that they didn't get to go to the tournament because they are living around adults who are not just irresponsible. This wasn't a matter of, oh, we forgot where we put the money. I mean, I could make that mistake. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know where you put it? Uh, <laughs> what's my name? But uh, this is bad behavior this is the sort of world we don't want our kids to live in and a lot of kids live in it and this is it writ large this is where announcers can talk about it again and again where is the move to do something about it and these are you know look these are 20 somethings or 18 19 you know they, they're old enough that you know they shouldn't jump off a bridge because something bad happens and they don't get to go to a bowl game I don't mean to act like this is the, the biggest crime in the world. That's not really the point. The point is, it's just so incredibly stupid. And it's just so incredibly dishonest and aimed at helping older people with their hands-on levers of power at the very expense of the young people that these older people are claiming they're all about. And it makes me sick to my stomach. And I would like to watch a bowl game with JMU because they are really good. Well, after all that, and that's a very earnest, <laughs> passionate talk about something I know nothing about. But still, it's an earnest <laughs> and passionate. I, one almost hates to go to irony, which was the fourth, uh, the fifth piece of the week. Uh, no protection, no duh, which is about uh, RFK Jr.'s lack of uh, secret uh, service protection and um but there was some irony involved in your piece so you know it, it doesn't fit within the discourse it was not earnest it was tongue-in-cheek and and kind of looking looking uh, cross-eyed at uh at the biden 
uh, as we call the Biden administration, because somebody's running it um, and it's not Joe. But uh, this is, you know, this is something Tim, we talked about this, um, that that everybody. Certainly our age, um, it's a little older than it used to be, but everybody our age who grew up with the Kennedy thing, who watched it play out. And then, of course, I was three years old when when uh, JFK was assassinated. But it's my first memory in life. And and, and I've seen the, the Zagruder film, you know, 50,000 times or whatever. You think about RFK making a serious run. That hasn't happened since the 70s or the 80, 1980 when uh, when uh, Teddy Kennedy ran. And that wasn't really uh, this isn't you know super serious in the sense that there's not a view that he's going to take the incumbent president. But there was also not a view that Kennedy was going to take uh, Carter at that time. And people think about that election and, and Reagan winning. Had Kennedy not run against Carter, may have been a different, you know, it, it, it wasn't like Reagan won that by some great landslide. He, he won pretty big in 84, but he didn't in 80. So, uh, but anyway, if you've been through this, you look at, at uh, RFK getting in and and you worry. And the first thing you think you, you think about is, well, they need to get this guy a detail, a Secret Service detail. And yet we find out that he's asked for one and been denied. They're not going to give him one, even though he has requested it. And even though, as we point out in this piece, he's had crazy people threaten, <laughs> threaten his life and stuff. He's had incidents that are very problematic and that, you know, it it's just outrageous. And, uh, and we make light of it here. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't think, you know, Joe Biden's in the, you know, somewhere in the bowels of the White House right now, like plotting the demise of, of RFK Jr. Um, but it's almost like as we as we joke in this piece that therefore they think, well, if we're not trying to kill him, uh, you know, who, who else would be more likely to? Uh, you know, so and and that's kind of that's, you know, I don't want to give give it all away, but I think I just did. But, um, you know, enjoy the piece. <laughs> but at the at, after we chuckle, it really is just it's 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 not right. It's if you believe in the government protecting people when they're running for president. And you know, I mean, what do you do if, if there's some attack on RFK? And, and how could there not be a zillion people going? How did you not see this coming? I mean, this is. This is, uh, it, it, it strikes me as bizarre. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot in the last several, because this is an old story in a sense. Uh, it just got, you know, it just got in our, in our sites recently. I knew about it weeks ago. It was the, the reason we know anything about it is Judicial Watch. Oh. And is it? Okay. Uh, Judicial Watch, uh, you know, they've, they've never kind of been the the group I think of first or anything, but uh, but boy, they have done a lot. And I remember when Larry Clayman uh, was was running Judicial Watch, and uh, and folks on the right really liked it. Um, and then he went after a couple of people on the right, 
because of course he wasn't he, he wasn't aimed all at oh we we're only against corruption and bad behavior on this side of the aisle and i it meant that i always had a, a lot of respect for them um and and still do they do a lot of work and a lot of what we know um unfortunately a lot of times <laughs> the media doesn't like to tell us even after judicial watch uncovers it um but a lot of what we know about what's going on is because of stuff they've done and uh and hats off to them you know looking at these pieces all five of these pieces especially you know the first the third and the fourth and this and this one would be good fodder for uh, a major comedian to 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 mock these are all mock worthy situations yes yes and uh and john stewart doesn't have a platform anymore i mean he's gonna have to do something else yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be interesting. This is the sort of thing that you could see. Um, um, and, I'm, and I'm losing his uh, his name. Are you thinking of Bill uh, Maher? Bill Maher. Bill Maher. And, uh, and it's interesting because I was never a, a fan of Bill Maher. Just something about his, his uh, shtick. Uh, I just, you know, I was never a big fan. And uh, uh, he came across as kind of libertarian-esque. And it was always the part of libertarianess that I thought was a perception and not a reality, you know, kind of the, I just like sex and drugs and rock and roll, okay, and, yeah. you know, yeah. screw you if you don't like it. And of course, if that's what you like, go do it and I'm not going to get in your way. But it's not, it's not how I see, boy, now if we can just let people know that it's all about sex, drugs and rock and roll, then we'll will win the day and yeah, peace yeah. and harmony. Yeah, the idea that the, what the world needs now is more orgies just isn't the main <laughs> point of uh, of what you and I do here. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I agree. He was sort of he's sort of like John Stewart, uh, except that he adds that element of libertinism, which is 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 probably less pleasant. Uh, I I think something else happened though with Mar, and he said after. Was it after 9-11? I think maybe it was. And that was when you really weren't supposed to say things like this. But he pointed out that you can say a lot about these guys who flew planes into buildings and killed everybody on the plane, including themselves and people in the buildings. But calling them cowards doesn't make much sense because the the one thing they weren't were, were cowards. Um, and and of course, he was he was right. But he, I, I think that's when he lost his gig at ABC. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. really a lot of backlash. And so he has, through the through his personal fire, he's got some appreciation uh, for, you know, not, not letting people, you know, have this kind of draconian, you can't say this and you can't do that. And when he sees that coming on the left, you know, some people could could be all against that coming from this direction, but not that. He's luckily is uh, equal opportunity in terms of I'm I'm not taking that crap. Yeah. Well, he's belatedly coming to this. He's it took him a yes. long time, and really, I don't yeah. want to give him too much credit. But uh, but yeah, he he is he is coming around. Uh, he's talking with uh, uh, politically incorrect comedians from our side, for instance. Uh, so right, I mean, right. Uh, for instance, I think. Uh, uh, Ms. Timp was on not too long ago. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that was just interesting. But, 
I don't know. Uh, chuckle-worthy life we live. Are you a fan of Ms. Tim? For she's she's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like I Greg like Gutfeld too. too. I mean, I don't really their versions. They have two different versions of libertarianism. Basically, one's a conservative libertarian, and the other is whatever she is. Uh, somebody who likes Gary Johnson a lot. And I'm and I've become more radical as I'm getting older. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't hold to the uh, pr propping up the regime in any way. Our regime needs to go, and uh, so I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm an excited and hopeful Michael Rechtenwald supporter right now. So there you are. Uh huh. And he is. He has announced uh, running as a libertarian. Yes. Yes. And he's a different kind of cat. I mean, he's not. You know, he's not. Uh, how shall we say? In any way, charismatic. But he's not uh, anti-charismatic, which many libertarians are. Uh, is he? Is he a solid libertarian across the board? He's uh, well. It depends on who you ask, uh, because I know that sure. a lot of the lot of the people who supported Gary Johnson don't like him because he's been associated with the Ludwig von Mises Institute, and there is this big rift in the libertarian movement. Right. And if you're associated right. with, with the Mises Institute, then you're just a pariah and a, a, a fascist, which I don't get. I don't get that at all. Uh, though well, I've so, tried to I, totally, I've tried to totally ignore that. Yeah, I try. I, I try. And, I've, and I've been, I've been wildly successful. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't really do anything with any of these groups. You know, I don't. And I like Gary Johnson in his day, but as soon as Bill Weld was on the scene, that was a disastrous campaign, and Bill Weld was the responsible for the disaster. And, and I like so, Bill Weld too, but I agree with you. Not so much. I don't blame it on just Bill Weld, but the the 2016 Weld uh, Johnson Johnson Weld ticket had such opportunities. Had more opportunities to spread good words than any campaign ever. And every time I saw him, I was kind of despondent about it. It was just pitiful. Well, the biggest problem, and this is the problem I have with Cato nowadays and nearly all the Beltway libertarians, is that these are people, and even with P.J. O'Rourke, the late P.J. O'Rourke, they were sympathetic to Hillary Clinton. And to me, and I'm not joking, uh, uh, O'Rourke, you, you think know, Cato was sympathetic to Hillary oh yeah. Clinton? Oh, yeah. Like they're oh, all over Trump because of Trump? Or Yes. yes. Okay. Well, that I, I do think there's a lot of people. It's hard for me to, I'm not sure I... I don't agree because I hadn't really thought about it, but 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 there are a lot of people who were sympathetic to Hillary Clinton because they hated Donald Trump so much. And you can almost understand that. But um, but no, I mean, not not at that time. And you can I, I can understand anybody. I don't find Donald Trump to be the type of person that I particularly want to be around or like. And oh, yet no. at the same time, I think. You know, I'm darn glad that he won instead of Hillary Clinton. I think it's a it's a better world uh, because of it. But no, I I think uh, I think with with you know the the Beltway view, um, I think Weld created more than just kind of a Trump is a ruffian. It was that Hillary Clinton is a great person. That's what he said. And, She's a good kid. Yeah. I believe yeah. good kid is how he described her, and I find that to be yeah. repellent. Uh, I find it funny because that is how he how he was saying it. <laughs> it just, it's just goofy beyond words. And and, and uh, Michael Rechtenwald, you know his campaign. He plays out the first syllable of his name, 
and his campaign slogan is "Wreck the Regime." So this is oh, not that's a good. That's a good slogan. This is not uh, tame libertarianism anymore. They're actually saying the CIA has got to go. The FBI has got to go. The income tax, if we can get rid of it, you gotta, it's got to go. These people in power have got to go. And that's wrecked the regime. And, uh, and further, it has changed things radically. And that's, of course, not going to be anything that Beltway people are going to be too plan- uh, uh, fond of. I'm now, you know, I can sit in the, in the, in the, in the middle of the country among cattle and, and deer and uh, coyotes and uh, not worry too much about my you know my reputation such as it ever was uh, being besmirched by awful ideas that are associated with people who want to wreck the regime i don't i don't care uh i mean even if i think i think look there's um trump trump's message about draining the swamp to the degree that was his message but his his whole i mean people accepted a lot they did not like because they thought he wanted to wreck the regime and they want to wreck the regime. And, and of course, what that means precisely is, is the rub. But uh, Rechtenwald is a, is a name I recognized. I, mean, I realize he's not a household name, but it's, it's a name that, you know, he, he can speak about the whole medical, you know, science uh, crap uh, with the, with the, you know our our big government science uh, divisions and and he's good on woke. Yeah, he's written about woke over and over. So and I think there are a lot of people looking to wreck the regime. I think what's interesting is there were you can understand with Hillary and Trump that there's a lot of people looking for an alternative. A lot of Republicans who can't vote for Trump. A lot of Democrats who don't want to vote for Hillary. And in fact, I was shocked because at the time I thought a lot of that was just just being played up on the Democratic side. And it, it turned out it was very real. She if if the you know, if uh, what's her name, Stein was not the Green Party candidate on the ballot in Michigan, um, Hillary Clinton would have would have won Michigan. Um, you know, it's there's there's a lot of margin of difference. And and I think a lot of the libertarian candidates it comes from a lot of different places. It's not all Republican as people think uh, oh, a lot no, of times, no. a lot of times Republican friends of mine will, will think, Oh, you know, and, and I think the, the green party vote is coming almost entirely from people who would have voted Democrat otherwise. And in some cases that could be the case with, with libertarians on uh, who are more, more apt to vote Republican if they didn't vote libertarian. But I think Trump changes that. And and what was interesting to me is that the polling in 2016 uh, showed clearly that when there were third party candidates in it, that those votes were coming from Hillary's total, that Hillary would be ahead by six points. And then when you took the third party vote out, she was ahead by two points, you know, that sort of thing. And what's interesting is that's also true with Biden. Um, and I think it's different. And with Hillary, it was, I can't vote for Hillary. With Biden, it's more like, I don't want to vote for Biden because he's not he's not really capable of doing it. And I think especially with young people who are, are maybe less forgiving of him, you know, <laughs> having dementia or whatever it is, uh, that, that there's a lot of them who could vote third party. And, and so the Green Party, Cornell West, other people, 
that becomes very important. What's what's interesting is there's a poll out this week, and I I didn't write anything about it. I didn't really think to write anything about it, but maybe I should have. Um, but it, it showed that RFK is taking some votes from Trump. And I find that very interesting. I find it interesting because myself, from a voting standpoint, um, there's a lot I disagree with about RFK. A lot of his stance, like most of them. <clears throat> I'm not on that side. Um, but I respect him. I trust him some. I think he's not part of some scam. Uh, and he's spoken out against the government taking over everything and Ben Pharma telling us how to live our lives uh, during the pandemic. And and that that's just a lot of street cred. And it's street cred with conservatives. And there are people such as myself who I I wouldn't say that I could never vote for Donald Trump. I mean, if 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 they put, you know, they resurrect Hitler and put him on the ballot next to Trump, I'm voting for Trump. Um, if they not that I'm saying they're they're the same guy or anything, I'm just saying there could be somebody scary enough. Uh, if it's Kamala Harris against Donald Trump, I might vote for Donald Trump. Um, you know, it's just there's you know, certain times where look if, if I you know guns to my head, and it seems like if that's the choice, that's that's tantamount to a gun being at your head. Anyway, it's uh, but but there's a lot of folks who don't want to. They don't want to vote for Donald Trump in the same way that people. Democrats, pretty constant Democratic voters did not want to vote for Hillary Clinton. And so they said, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to take this way out. And if they lived in a blue state, it didn't matter. If they lived in a red state, it didn't matter. But if they lived in Michigan or Wisconsin, you know, uh, it mattered. And uh, <clears throat> and I well, think this, that same thing could happen. So, well, so 2024. RFK, yes. With 2024, uh, RFK could change things greatly. And maybe even Rechtenwald could. I don't know. Yes, I think Rechtenwald less so, just because I think he'll get less press for one. But uh, but RFK is um, and, and Rechtenwald might. But but I'm just thinking those folks. Uh, uh, RFK is having an influence in that. I think he'll take. He might take more votes from Trump than he takes from Biden. And that's it. When you think with somebody a Kennedy. Uh, who would pull more conservative votes than Democratic votes? That's that's something. But anyway, there, there's a lot of that. And what what does it say? What's the big picture that nobody gives a damn about? Uh, the big picture is that we're completely dissatisfied with our choices. I mean, if we went to the grocery store and it was just like one of these big grocery stores that's got everything in it. I mean, it's just a big place, the type of place that. You know, I, I might get lost and have to call home and go, honey, where, where? I've asked three times, but I can't quite find the store is too big. There's too much stuff. I could see a store like that where it was all stuff I didn't like. It's all cottage cheese and, you know, different things that I just, I don't eat. And so you could walk through the store and it's just, it's lima beans and cottage cheese that are presented in the nicest ways. And you're just aisle after aisle. And here's uh, pinto beans or something. So, yeah, I'm a picky eater. And and it, well, they'd be a nice store, I guess. But you'd kind of leave really dissatisfied. And and this isn't this isn't one election. Oh, what a terrible choice this time. 
It's a horrible, rotten, ugly, sickening choice every time. And yeah. and when you think about it, especially Trump, Hillary, you had both sides. It's like neither side really liked that person to begin with. And, and it's like, oh, it's just a, a complete mess. So it's it it will be interesting to see how all of that, I think, uh, plays out in 2024. Because if you think back in 2020, because of the impact of uh, Stein, why can't I think of her first name? Jill Stein? Jill Stein, that's it. Uh, anyway, because of her impact, because the libertarians had some impact there, although I think they took, I think the libertarians who voted libertarian were not going to vote for Trump. And and so they did. They did. Even that margin also helped uh, Trump uh, and hurt Hillary. But this time it could be could be a little mixed. But it's the same thing. The majority of both parties doesn't like the majority of Democrats want somebody other than Biden. The majority of Republicans want somebody other than Trump, I think. Now, I, I should take that back because he's getting a majority in the polls and so on. But I think if you I think if you were to take the broader Republican, the people who are Republicans who don't vote in the primary but vote in the general, that Trump would dip below half of, of the party. And and it's not just that he dips below, oh, they prefer somebody else. The folks who aren't for Trump, a lot of them are very, very uncomfortable with Trump, which I probably don't have to belabor explaining to everybody. Yeah. I'm in the annoying position when it comes to Trump that I don't hate him or even disapprove of him like most people do. Most of the people who are, you know, anti-Trumpers or whatever, never Trumpers or all that stuff. I don't have any of that. I don't, I don't care the fact that I don't like him as a human being. Right. Right. It doesn't right. matter to me at all. Um, what I don't like about Trump is that he ruined himself in his last year with COVID and the elections. And, uh, with, he you know, did, and how can but, you vote? For, how can you vote for that man after he did what he did in in twenty twenty? And I see, I, don't... I I could kind of I think he made a mistake, and I think there was a lot of you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm more forgiving of that. I'm not forgiving of him not handing back power in a more clear and uh, humble way. Uh, and and I don't begrudge him for raising any concerns and so on, but I just think the way he handled it was was not the way that that a president should do it, and uh, and that that's really serious stuff. That that uh, probably arguably more important than our written Bill of Rights is the fact that George Washington stepped down after two terms. That the example is huge, and and he screwed that up, and that's a really really serious. Uh, problem, but but I I I guess in in uh, you know the other thing with Trump is I think about this recent thing with with Israel and and uh, Hamas and uh, I mean and and you know that that tends to cut everything to the quick in terms of uh, you know uh, atrocities and and you know it, it brings out usually human emotions of compassion and fear and and worry and all those kind of things trump is upset it wants to blame netanyahu and and had he made kind of a argument against netanyahu that was 
intellectually solid and well he's made this mistake and that mistake but no it's basically that netanyahu didn't say the right things about trump's complaints about the 2020 u.s election and therefore f him so that trump is quoted as f him because of of you know and it's like do you have no sense that you're like on on the world stage and that you might not want to act like just a complete like narcissistic ass? But in, in some ways, that's it is one of the things I sort of like about Trump is that his narcissism is so front and center and always offered in such beautiful you know packages of giant narcissism that it, it's kind of comforting because everybody in Washington is a narcissist and it's nice to to be reminded of that where some people might fool you Trump's not going to fool anybody into thinking that this is a guy who really is in it for the people um and yeah. none of them are so, so yeah. I mean there's that there's that that's the positive spin but but what he said about Netanyahu uh it just struck me as this guy, I think that it's it's how he thinks, and it's like it's the last guy I would want to be in a position of pressure, in a war, heaven forbid, in some other situation where you might get the decision and then realize later it was because he was you know upset about this or that from ten years ago when someone you know didn't behave exactly the way he thought they should or something slighted him in some way but well, i didn't catch that i had i had not seen anything he'd said about uh yeah. israel and we haven't talked about israel on on, the, on your side uh, i on facebook i warned my friends that i wasn't going to come to any strong opinions i mean i have lots of ideas about israel and palestine but i wasn't going to take sides i'm not going to make it a big deal because it's not my area of expertise uh though i did mention to my friends that that their friend, many many of my friends are, you know, their friend Sheldon Richmond uh, right. wrote a book about Palestine that if you haven't read, and especially if you're a libertarian, I think there's something wrong there. I think you need to read that book. And uh, since I haven't finished the book, I, I I think that I should just shut the hell up on it. So that's the well, that's you know, I did. I I think I bought that book, but I, I but I haven't read it. And uh, and you know Sheldon is a is a brother-in-law and uh was once upon a time and I didn't I didn't divorce him so he's still my brother-in-law uh uh and a really bright guy and and uh I I do think that there's so much there that I don't understand that I don't know that it is tough the one thing that I know is going and killing a bunch of people doesn't seem like I mean it and and the response that there's about to be and I mean there's just a there's a lot of people being killed who it seems to me are not are not the problem and uh and you do kind of look at it like <clears throat> the world helped create some of the problem and you would kind of hope that the world could help solve some of the problem but there's there just doesn't seem to be much there doesn't seem to be much upside to, to anybody to solve it well i think you're right i i actually think that the palestine problem was created to be a problem 
and it's a very good trap for almost everybody. And I don't think most people handle traps well. And I think the people who handle it worst of all are the Palestinians. And that makes them very hard to defend. And uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, but nevertheless, Palestinians have rights. And uh, we should be trying to come to some sort of peaceful and just solution to problems. But, you know, even Netanyahu, as I understand, he was encouraging. I mean, Israel encouraged Hamas. This is not, this is like, America encouraging uh, the Mujahideen. I mean, sometimes we create our enemies. Right. And this right. should be brought you mean up. That, that basically putting them in charge of Gaza, or or maybe that was acquiescing to that. I don't know what. See, I don't understand exactly how that I, happened. I've heard Netanyahu say things that they're just chort- chortling in the in the uh, gambit they took uh, to put Hamas for because they were trying to counter Hezbollah and the PLO and, the, and, and you know, right. The, what right. they at the time thought of as worse elements. And now they're stuck with Hamas. So, I mean, sometimes you get what you deserve. The people, right. innocent people don't get what they deserve, but politicians sometimes get it. And and I hate to back up any the problem right the, now. The problem is how many innocent people get it along with them. Oh, that's, it's going to be bad. It's going to be always bad. the problem. No, anyway. it's, 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 it's very scary there. And and um, I don't have a, uh, I'm kind of like you, uh, I don't have a, a, a great policy prescription. Um, you know, it does seem like uh, we ought to be encouraging some things to happen there. But it does, it also seems like there was a, there was, things got very close to a two-state solution and, and that, and and it seemed to me as a reader, and I, I again I, I admit uh, saying this that I'm no expert on this, and and one of the reasons I haven't said more about it is because I don't know more. Um, but my take when that fell apart was that it was the PLO that stepped back, it was the Palestinians who stepped back and didn't have that happen. And of course, there's a lot of speculation, and and it's you know I think kind of the the conventional wisdom is that Hamas launched this attack in part to blow up any sort of uh, diplomatic uh, relationship building between Saudis and, and Israel. And it's one of the things that Trump accomplished that if a Democrat had accomplished or a Republican maybe other than Trump, the media would have gone crazy with the different countries and, you know, Bahrain and so on. It's not like it's the biggest country in the world or anything. But these Arab countries, you know, recognizing Israel and having diplomatic relations and stuff is kind of a big deal. And uh, and so there there has been a lot of progress. And it and it does seem like again and again and for reasons that are easy to understand, folks who want to fight and are not the ones who want to make these peace deals and when it looks like the peace deal is going to happen sometimes decide let's go over and murder enough people savagely enough that it's really difficult to make this peace deal now oh well i consider palestinians to be a a subject population and it's an open-air concentration camp they're they're heavily uh denied they don't have free trade. They can't do things. Right. All their uh, all their services are provided by Israel, which have cut them off, and you know, in the retaliation. Right. See, all this is this is just this is it's really ugly stuff. The whole thing is ugly, and 
Israel, you know, I like the people. I'm I'm sort of Semitophilic, or what you know, I'm not anti-Semitic. Right. I'm right. right. I like. Yeah. It's yeah kind of, so it's a I problem. You're Jewish. I I tend to think, oh, you're probably smarter and funnier than most people I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but 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 the government. I don't approve of the government of Israel. Uh, I don't really like it anymore. I like it probably less than I like the American government in some ways because of how their their basic policies. I'm not for them. I'm 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 really not their right. ally, right. and I know a lot of Jews right now in America are, are are taking the opposite tack that we're supposed to support them because well, Israel is kind of a colony of the United States. I mean, it is a it is a it is a we've been giving that country money for a long time. The United States, right. American taxpayers have and giving uh, Egypt Egypt billions well, was, at the same time. Yeah, well, that was that was to buy off a piece. We basically right. paid both right. sides to do that. That's a very interesting. Right. And right. that's how America, which gets as things true. go, which as things go, maybe the maybe money well spent. You know, well, it's that it's not good for America. Is it good for Americans to be always the subject of their own country and paying for the world? Are we the ones who must bear the uh, the burden of the world? Well, maybe we should say no, because yeah. what does that mean? The CIA. I'm just Pentagon, saying that. I'm I know, just saying I know. that that's probably cheaper than any other plan that they had, and sometimes. The direct route is the way to go. Oh, sure, I'm sure. sure. I'm, I'm sure Xi Jinping can can kind of show us some pointers on just bribe these people. It's easier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and once again, it is such a mess that I'm I'm not disagreeing with you there. It's just that, it's just that I don't have to be comfortable with it, and I don't have to take no, a side. No, no. And I'm not either. And and I don't take a side in in the sense that, you know, neither side is is you can't go oh. This side is totally right. They're, you know, the Israelis are not totally right, and the Palestinians are not totally right. Right. And right. and when you see these sorts of atrocities, you know, they're not totally right. You know, it's like it's it's, and, and I think about terrorism and some of this stuff, and it's you know, if you think about uh, different countries being bombed into the Stone Age and stuff, that was what was going to happen to Vietnam. They never get bombed into the Stone Age and they never get bombed into submission. And so, you know, you can say that we need to strategically bomb because we have to invade or we do. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no purpose ever. But this idea that somehow, you know, we're going to we're going to kill people into, you know, doing it our way doesn't work anywhere. And and it, in, in the Middle East. You know, this it's it's just like one vicious thing. It it's it's a blood feud that I think causes most sane people to think I'd like to be as far away from that place as I possibly can get. And on that note, we could end the podcast. All right. <laughs>